Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. Parents, we need, for our kids, we need to, not to isolate them, but to insulate them. And part of that insulation is missing. The church is not being, insulating its, its, its people. The families are not insulating its people. It, it is a, we are in a dangerous situation. We just send our kids into this world. I, I, I grew up with a, a mentality of there were certain words you didn't say because they had power to take you over. There were bad words. Don't say those words because they can take you yeah. over. Well, you think words are bad. Images are even worse. Images can take you over in a minute. That was Leonard Sweet, who we talked with last week and will again this week on Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot with Gabe, and Gabe, we are looking forward to the rest of your conversation with Len about his latest book, Ring of Fire. But before we do, here it is the middle of February, and Q 2020, the annual Q Conference, is fast approaching. April 22nd to 24, this is going to be a Q like you've never experienced. We're adding new elements, a totally new format to some of our talks. We'll tell you more about that later, but there's going to be a number of talks and conversations happening that we just think are so consequential in 2020. Well, Gabe, last year's Q Conference was very consequential. In fact, we have some time, so here's a sort of highlight reel of some of the voices and ideas shared at last year's Q Conference. Some voices you'll recognize, some you may not, but just listen to the insights. If the Christian faith can't answer the questions of the current generation, then it does not advance. It does not move forward. It does not reach the hearts, the minds, the intellects of the people we're doing life with. We can't confront identity politics until we confront what created and made identity politics necessary, namely American racism and race-based exclusion. I think the Bible's super important in this conversation, but if we get the Bible right and get love wrong, we're wrong. And we're not gonna learn how to love We're not going to learn how to love until we learn how to listen. Across cultures, across history, across generations, without fail, this commitment to lead with love will be a leader's mark of true greatness. My acceptation should be on grace. For by grace are you say, man should not work to prove his dignity. That would be dignity by our works. Jesus is there to heal the powerless and the powerful. To heal the privileged and the marginalized. We may not be as smart as some people, but loving and being loved is what makes people happy. Marriage is not just about my being with someone who will do for me what I want her to do, do for me what I want him to do. I can have a sex robot that will do for me what I want that to do. The question is, in having this, will I be a person at the end of the day who is greater in my capacity to be more 
Loving, joyful, kind, patient, good. Cyborgs are already here. We already are them. They are us. And it's not that different. But what we need is the ability to see when our dreams of enhancement turn into idolatry and to resist it. And honestly, no matter how brilliant and innovative these new technologies are, if our social, cultural, and political systems are not prepared for the inrush of change, failure will occur. The truth matters more now than it ever has. And believers are being scrutinized more now than we ever have been. The truth matters. Strangely, we aren't talking about the fact, our national conversation isn't focusing on the fact that we are living through the biggest mass suicide in U.S. history. 15 of the poorest counties in all of America are within just a few hours drive of here, and there's an epidemic of middle-aged death. There is a collapse of community in place. And yes, we absolutely must fight for the life of the unborn child, but I wonder, have we missed and failed the woman who's terrified. God invites us when we're tired and burned out on religion to get away with him and we'll recover our life. When we lose our life, the way that we are currently living it, we begin to find it again in him. You see, when Jesus was calling us the salt of the earth, he was not just saying you are an agent of flavoring and you are an agent of preserving. He was saying you are an agent of human flourishing and you are called to bring life and divine vitality everywhere you go. Close to 8 billion people in our world waking up every single morning with the commitment to love and serve one another is the closest thing to heaven on earth I could ever imagine. Again, those are just highlights from last year's Q Conference. And Gabe, as you mentioned, you're very busy making sure this year not only has great talks, but also great curated experiences. We're going to create space where it's not only prayerful, where we're inviting God into this with us and into this year and into our leadership, but it's also educational, informing. We're going to have some of the best thought leaders, those who are thinking about where this world's going, where the culture's going, where technology's going, where faith is going, and we're going to analyze that, but we're also going to ask God to help us with that, to help us creatively imagine what should this next year look like. The list of speakers continues to grow, so to see that and all the other plans for your Q2020, plus how to register, just visit qideas.org slash 2020. Okay, let's get back to Gabe and his talk with Leonard Sweet about the book, Ring of Fire. You know, you look at technology sometimes, and, and I don't know your opinion on every technology, but, but the sense that technology is neutral can be an assumption that a lot of people have versus technologies having bias towards certain behavior and biases towards, um, you know, negative uh, a negative approach to something or a positive approach. For example, a gun is biased towards violence, right? So, so maybe you're using it to hunt, um, not necessarily kill somebody, but, but that's a bias that it has. It's not a neutral bias. Um, when you look at the future of how technologies are developing, such as social media, such as us getting more comfortable with the phone being in our hand and somewhat attached to us and uh, looked at as a direct tool that we must utilize to communicate now to much broader uh, groups of people than beyond just our local community or those who know us. Are you seeing that this starting to to take shape? And you would say, hey, some some of this media is biased towards uh, post-human era. 
that we need to be hyper aware of, and the church ought to be shouting from the rooftops, be careful, tread carefully, let's let's pull back here for a second, let's recognize how this technology is reshaping our imagination, how we're thinking, how we're talking to one another, uh, or would you just say, hey, this is just part of how progress advances, it's scary at, at the beginning, but we need to embrace it and utilize it, in, you know, instrumentally for our own purposes. No, well, you know, I think, of course, I, I'm going to, uh, I'm an incarnationalist, so I want to incarnate the gospel in whatever that culture is. But Jesus said, you're in the world, in that culture, but don't be of it. And so I, I think you're exactly right. Every culture, every technology has a certain bias. and But it's not just the church's job, it's the parent's job. It's the job of the home, the family, the church, the community to say to these kids, um, I mean, I was a bookworm and my parents were constantly worried about me being a bookworm, what that was going to do to me, because that technology just fed and fueled my own uh, introversion, you know, and and so th- there were remedies, there were implications of what it meant for me to do this way. So th- the, the phrase I use is parents, we need... For our kids, we need to not to isolate them, but to insulate them. And part of that insulation is missing. The church is not being insulating its 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 people. The families are not insulating its people. It it is a we are in a dangerous situation. We just send our kids into this world. I I, I grew up with a, a mentality of there were certain words you didn't say because. They had power to take you over. There were bad words. Don't say those words because they can take you yeah. over. Well, you think words are bad. Images are even worse. Images can take you over in a minute. And so we have an ethic of words. We have no ethic of images. If there are certain words you should never say, maybe there's some images you should never see. And if you do, you need repentance and you need cleansing rituals. My grandma, I'm from West Virginia, she had a cleansing ritual when I had bad words. And and uh, <laughs> did it involve soap in your mouth? <laughs> that's exactly. So this is what we're talking about. I think you're exactly right. We've got, but that's up to the church to do that. It's up to the family to do that. And we are not even asking those questions, Gabe. Yeah, well, I think there's this tension in the church, and I, I see it illustrated in some of the highest intellectual levels of, of Christianity, evangelicalism, where, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Rod Dreher, wrote a book called The Benedict Option a few years ago that, you know, really, really struck out a bit of a vision that, that looked as if the church and Christians and that he was advocating should pull back from some of these cultural spaces that we're inhabiting and actually get our own families in order, get our own churches in order, connect more, network better as institutions, because we're being taken over by a wave of of both, as he would describe, secularism, but also of of new forms of culture that we're we're undoubtedly completely unprepared for. And to just blindly continue to say, we're just gonna be in the world and not of it, and yet not actually have the 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 core community around you on the same page theologically or philosophically about how to engage this, that we will be so weak, we'll just be completely overrun. And, and I know he gets lambasted for having that perspective. But as I hear you talk, and I know in my own thinking, there's value to thinking that way. There's value into saying, hey, if we're in the long game here, there's moments where with your kids, with your family, with your church, uh, that there's, there's something to be said about putting some guardrails up and saying, we're, we need to be wise. We need to go deeper with those who are within our care and shepherding them and preparing them for this world. And sometimes that might seem a little uh, as if we're, we're backing off of our mission to go into the world. But how, how are you seeing that? Well, I, that's, that's where I, I feel exactly like you do about that book, and in some ways the way, the way you presented it. Because 
I think he diagnoses our problem and our challenge, but the game is not the huddle. I mean, you do need to huddle and families need to huddle. The church needs to huddle. We all need to huddle, but the game is not the huddle. You come out of the huddle and down the field. And that's where, again, you huddle to insulate, to prepare, to strategize, to warn. This is what, this is what the lay of the land is, but God did not call his church to huddle. We are there to huddle only long enough to come out of that huddle and go down the field in ministry and mission. So I, I want, I fall between the cracks. I want huddle time, but I want mission time. I want field time down the yeah. field. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's, I get the, the people who want to stay all life in the huddle. Don't like the mission part. The people who like the mission part don't like the huddle part. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it's a beautiful blend of the two. That's just going to be necessary. And I think the younger we go with our children, maybe it's a little more huddle. Um, as we're preparing them for launch. And I think parents are struggling with that today. They're, they're, they're children. I, I have three teenagers. The access to the information, it's hard to insulate in this world. I mean, the only way to insulate is, is definitely not to have a phone. Don't have internet in your home. You know, I mean, there's, there's some real extreme measures you could take, but then you're not necessarily preparing them for how are they going to live within that space. But let's, let's move on. I think, I think artificial intelligence, uh, you know, you, you talk about it so well in here, genetic engineering, we've got uh, information technology, nano, robotics. You know, these are some of the things we've talked about at Q over the last several years. Actually, a decade ago, I don't know if you know Shane Hips, but he, he gave a talk in 2009 at our Q event we had in Austin uh, on, this, on, on the cell phone and, and how it was starting to reshape our minds, rewire us. Uh, make us less present, less embodied as human beings, how this was a problem, and the church needed to be paying attention to it. Well, you fast forward to this past year, we had Andy Crouch uh, give a talk on the theology of cyborgs. And the idea being, what what does it look like when you're asked to put a chip into your head? Or you're asked to get the chip in your wrist when you go to work to kind of track some things, because it's more convenient. And And we're trying to stay ahead of those conversations and help the church understand where this is going so that so that we don't just half-heartedly follow along with innovation and technology and look at every new innovation and every new tech that's introduced and go, oh, this is good for the world. This is innovation versus having a bit of a view towards this where we're assessing, what is this going to do to our community? What is this going to do to my own humanity? How, how am I giving up part of who I am? And, and you delve into that in this, in this book very specifically, some of these areas that it, it seems many Christians aren't thinking about don't want to talk about, don't know enough about it to feel like they can engage it with intelligence. And yet it seems to me this is the front line. Like this is one of the most urgent areas that we need to be concerned with as it relates to how are we being human and and what do we have to offer to the world uh, as people who are made in the image of God and are struggling with the question of what does it mean to be human because of how much tech is starting to intercept our lives uh, and are you seeing it that same way? Are, are you seeing this as one of those new frontiers that we just need to be smarter on and start teaching about and helping people understand, even if they start to roll their eyes? Yeah, well, I, I've been singing this song for 20 years. Um, and Bill Joy, who was one of the co-founders of, of uh, Java, when it really invented that whole program. And, and with Tim Berners-Lee, he's the real one that helped to establish the Internet. He In 1999, as we went over remember that Y2 thing. Um, he wrote an article, Why the Future Doesn't Really Need Us. It put it in Wired magazine. And that was required reading for all my students for a couple of years. 
but he's arguing. He's no interest now in theology or religion or whatever. But he's ar he's arguing that in these areas that I I kind of acronym in the in the book Grain, genetic engineering, robotics, artificial intelligence, information technology, and nanotechnology, we are going so far. The scientists, the science, is going so far beyond any moral or ethical comprehension, or even philosophical and metaphysical understanding. These this is his phrasings that he argued that scientists ought to declare a moratorium for a few years on cutting-edge research in all those areas until they could convince the, the philosophical and ethical and religious community to engage them in conversation because they were in a, a new land, a new territory, that there, he knew there would be, there'd be dragons there, but they didn't know where the dragons were, and they really needed some, some conversation with ethicists and theologians and philosophers to, to come to terms with the cutting edges of these areas. And now, this is 1999, Gabe. And, um, you know, I, I've been flailing that article. I, I've had lectures that I start doing this and everybody's eyes. You're exactly right. They start glazing over. <laughs> you know, I right. go. We're all cyborgs now. We've already crossed that. That the question is, how cyborgian do you want to get? And people look at you like, "What are you?" <laughs> so I say, my mother, when she died, she was a cyborg. She had artificial. She had a pacemaker, artificial hip. She was part born, part made. How far do we go on this? And everybody's eyes glaze over. So yeah, yeah. But your uh, the big one is AI. Let me just say, AI will be to humanity what the invention of fire was, if not bigger. It will have that kind of impact on what it means to be human. And we have we are just at the beginning stages of AI. And if we don't start talking about artificial intelligence and what that means and its implications for our understanding of what it means to be human, I have a book coming out called A Jesus Human, where I just try and deal with this whole issue. What is Jesus didn't Jesus is the last Adam. He died on the cross. Not to make us into Christian. I, I, the, I wanted to title the book, maybe, Will There Be Any Christians in Heaven? Jesus did not die to found a new religion called Christianity. Christianity is what we did to Jesus. Jesus is the last Adam who, who showed us how to be the original human that God created us to be. The original Adam. And it's all about, the future has got to be all about humanity. Yeah. Now, I believe that the way to be human is, is through Jesus. So I'm a yeah. Jesus yeah. human. Yeah, but right. you've got to bring the particular and the universal together, and nobody wants to do either. They don't want to talk about the particularity of Christ, and they don't want to talk about the universality of what it means to be human, and that's exactly what the future needs. Well, and I think those questions are just going to come up more and more. The exciting thing about a future with a lot of chaos and a lot of unanswered questions is people start talking again. They start asking questions. And there's an opportunity for us to give better answers than maybe they're hearing from social media or from their friends or from their latest professor about what it really means to be human. Where do we find the, the deepest uh, meaning and purpose in life? Some of those just existential questions every human being's asked, but they don't always have the best answers. And that's been a key for Christianity as we look back over the centuries, is that the Christian faith did offer answers to some of these existential questions that were way better than what the rest of, of the religious world could offer or anybody else could offer because it actually made sense. It was coherent. Uh, it aligned with reality the most. Uh, and so I, I think I'm so thankful that you're spending time working on this and thinking through it. I know sometimes it can feel lonely because you're 
you're you're decades ahead of where other people are of their concerns and then it's 20 years later when they finally appreciate your work and go man you were really on it and so i want what i want to say to our our listeners is leonard sweet is somebody that you need to read now this isn't one of those where let's wait 20 years to see how many of these predictions come true how many of the questions that he's suggesting we will be asked as Christians that we need to prepare for? Absolutely, we need to be preparing for it. We need to be not only preparing ourselves, but preparing those who God's put in our care. And that could be your children. It could be your just friend group. It could be uh, people within your local community, or your workplace, your church. Um, if we're not having conversations about the future and, and where we see the world going uh, and how we can best intersect that, then I don't know that we're being faithful stewards of the moment. And you've been an incredible steward of that. So Lynn, in closing, will you just, as, as you look at the next decade and, and, and when we're talking to pastors, let's say it's, it's church leaders listening right now, which is a portion of our audience, but I want you to focus in on, on the church leaders who Sunday week in, week out, they're teaching a sermon. They're, they're trying to encourage their people. They're exhorting them. They're bringing them back to the word of God and helping them uh, better understand, you know, what Jesus's life was about and what he called us to do. And they're, tr- they're trying to teach around that. As you look a, a decade from now, I mean, where do you think our pastors need to be in terms of education on some of these issues, in terms of how much these types of topics should be coming up in any type of gathering that's gathering God's people together, uh, where we're talking about some of these subjects that I think for pastors sometimes feels off limits, doesn't feel like it's something that should be talked about in church. Is your feeling that this is going to need to become a more important part of the conversation? Well, I do think it's an important part of the conversation, but I do think that the most important thing we can do is lift up Christ. And and that is not being done, in my mind, uh, nearly enough. You get you. We got sermons out there on how to on every kind of it's their appy sermons. How to have a here's the application. Here's how to you know have a better marriage. Here's how to have a better life. Here's how to make more money. So we're we're full of all sorts of of uh, motivational stuff. But the unique calling of a preacher is to lift up Christ. And in fact, if he be lifted up, he says, "I will draw all people to me." Christ is the, Christ is the draw, and I I just. I'm just trying to get if we just lift him up, he has the he has he has the power to change lives. Our our preaching no longer has the power to change lives, much less convert thieves on crosses or thieves hiding out in trees like Zacchaeus or thieves presiding at sumptuous tables like uh, like uh, Levi the public. I mean, you've got we we all we have to do is to lift up Christ, and He will draw. And so that that's my passion is that he's the one that can we can navigate uh, and negotiate anything if we are following him and he's in the lead and uh, we're behind him and just lift him up. And I, and I have found, I mean, when when you're in scripture, when you're when you're in communion with God and the Holy Spirit's giving you discernment and wisdom that as these new topics and information come at you that maybe you're not that educated on. Uh, as an expert might be, but but you you do have a sense towards and a discernment towards is this good or bad? Is this is this here to harm me? Is this taking away from how God's designed me to operate in in my fullest um, ability uh, as as a person made in the image of God, or is this actually distorting that? Is this taking me out of it? And when you when you kind of have that operating system right, you can start to take all these issues in, and and that's what you do so well in Rings of Fire. As you can tell, you have an incredible foundational operating system and worldview 
that allows you to take in all of the new conversations, questions, information, and, and, you know, as you know, scores more that we haven't even thought of yet that are going to be coming at the next generation. And with that rootedness in Christ, you can actually see through it and you can help guide others uh, to have peace and purpose, even in the midst of where a world's getting a lot more anxious about some of these new things and not certainty about where things are going. So I just want to thank you again for your faithfulness on this. Thanks for this book and uh, the resource I know it is to me and that it'll be to so many who read it and uh, look forward to seeing you in the near future. Yeah, I appreciate that, Gabe. Look forward to seeing you. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons and Gabe. Oh, I so wish we could have heard more from your friend, Leonard. It's true. I could have talked to Len Sweet all day. I love the way that he's faithfully done this. If you don't know, he lives on a place called Orcas Island and truly is just discipling people and has been a faithful leader in that way through not only his books, but in person. But I want to encourage you to to read his book. It's been very impactful for me, and I want it to be something that's just a resource for you as you try to lead right where you're at and to better understand these issues. The book is called Rings of Fire and the subtitle Walking in Faith Through a Volcanic Future. And I know it sounds dramatic, but it's it's dramatic. He talks about genders and gendering. He has this term called sexularism, which is hard to say, but it actually gets at the roots of the type of culture we have. He talks about diversity and unity, race relations. He talks about the planet and earth and uh, global warming, artificial intelligence. Uh, he has all kinds of new terms you've never heard of, but we need to be aware of. And I think more than anything, it's one of those books that just gets your mind spinning towards this future and helps you uh, with compassion. Try to think ahead for your kids and your grandkids. What is the world they're growing up in? And how, if we have any opportunity to steward right now, our opportunity to prepare them for that future, how do we do that? And this is the type of resource that will help you do it. So I hope you'll enjoy this. Share this podcast with your friends. Leave us a review. Let people know that you enjoy Q on a weekly basis, getting to hear these interviews, also getting to hear our talks, because it's through you spreading the word that these conversations become more of a reality for Christian communities, for small groups, for your friends. And don't we need more conversations like this happening? So join us anytime at qideas.org, where you can get access to our video clips of one and two minute clips of some of our best moments at Q. You can also subscribe to get our full-length talks that include questions and the ability for you to convene conversations in your home through Q Media. So check it out. We're glad you listened in on this conversation and excited to continue this in the weeks ahead. This program is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.